0: Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Teresa Schechter has plenty to say, and we like that. My guest today is an award-winning filmmaker, writer, and founder of Trixie Films, a feminist production company that marries humor, activism, and personal storytelling to upend what's considered sacred about motherhood. And to that end, Teresa is a Canada Council for the Arts grantee for her documentary, My So-Called Selfish Life, which focuses on one of society's biggest taboos, women who choose not to become mothers. This is the third of a cinematic trilogy. The first, I Was a Teenage Feminist was followed by How to Lose Your Virginity. Teresa also curates and edits the V-Card Diaries, a crowdsourced collection of nearly 400 stories of sexual debuts and deferrals. Before becoming a filmmaker, Teresa ran the graphics and art direction departments at the Chicago Tribune and was visual editor for two of their Pulitzer Prize-winning projects. We got a lot to talk about, so let's meet and get to know Teresa Schechter. Welcome and thanks so much for joining me remotely from Brooklyn today.
1: Thanks. It's a pleasure. Teresa, are you a New Yorker by birth and growing up? No. uh, I've lived here for 22 years, but
0: I grew up in Toronto, in Canada. Ah. Do you have dual citizenship? I do, yeah. Oh, very interesting. And so did you come here to go to school, to go to college?
1: No. um, I came to the United States about... 32 years ago, um, to work in Chicago at the Chicago Tribune. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I lived in Chicago for about 10 years and then I moved to New York and I've been here since.
0: So you did all your schooling and whatever back home in Canada?
1: I did, yeah. In Toronto, actually.
0: In Toronto. Oh, great city. Uh Uh-huh. And so you traded that in for Chicago. And did you know when you were first starting out that filmmaking was going to be your passion, and your vocation? Well, I did
1: make one Super 8 film in high school, and then I think that was the end for a while of my mm-hmm. filmmaking career. I didn't, I didn't see a lot of women doing it, and it didn't occur to me that it could be an actual job. Mm. But I did go to art school, and I became a graphic designer, and that was my career for about 16 years. And then I went back to school, to film school, And that led me to move to New York and start making films for real.
0: How difficult was that road to hoe after you got out of film school?
1: Well, I had been working full time at the Chicago Tribune while I was in film school part time. And I actually just applied for an internship. I, I took this like really one step at a time because the prospect of completely turning my life inside out would have been too terrifying to actually Mm -hmm. make into a long-term plan. So I was in film school because I was interested and was thinking I wanted to make some changes, but I just applied to an internship in New York and I got it. So I took a leave of absence from the Tribune for four months, thinking I was just going to come back and carry on. And about halfway through my four months in New York, it suddenly dawned on me that I wanted to stay And I didn't want to go back to Chicago or back Mm -hmm. to the Chicago Tribune. And I I basically resigned over the phone. (laughs) Um, And I have to say, it was a wonderful job. I loved working for the Tribune. It was great. And that's how much I knew I wanted to make a change because I had a great job. I wasn't running away from anything. Right, Um, right. But I just wanted to do something else. And... um, yeah, it was extremely hard <laughs> to move to a city twice as expensive as Chicago oh, yeah. and get a job for half my salary, less than half my salary. And for the first year, it was rough. I was wondering if I'd made a really terrible mistake.
0: What did you start out doing?
1: Well, my internship had been with Tribeca Productions, which is Robert De Niro's production company. Mm-hmm. And um, then I, during my internship, I got hired to work on a film as a production assistant, and then when I was moving back to New York, I didn't actually have a job. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And then Tribeca offered me a job as um, an assistant to his producing partner, um, Jane Rosenthal. So I did that for about a year. I was, I was one of her assistants um, at Tribeca. And I thought, I did not go to film school to answer phones. Right. I need to actually make some films. Not that I minded, actually, you know, it was it's the kind of thing where after you've been managing a huge department, it's kind of nice that your responsibilities have to do with answering phones and getting
0: lunch. (laughs) So (laughs) it was a bit of a a Not seismic decisions there.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, But anyway, I thought I, 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 uh, I should really think about actually making films since that's what I set out to do.
0: You know, I've interviewed a lot of female filmmakers and I have to say it's been very empowering to see how many of you are out there. It's still not a massive number. I mean, it's still very male dominated, but there are, it's a respectable number of women out there who are forging their own paths, whether it's feature films or documentaries. Have you found that to be the case?
1: Oh, I think there are many, many women out there making films, making their first films, Uh, the question is if they get to make their second films, usually. Um, In the world of documentary, it's a bit easier, I have to admit. I'm not dealing with Hollywood, um, and I'm working as an independent filmmaker, so I make the films I want to make. So, in that way, I have a little bit more control over what I do. But yeah, there there are a lot of women out there. They're just not They don't have the visibility that they
0: should be getting. So were you, and I use the term in quotes, in a positive way, always political when it came to women?
1: I was very political when I was 13. (laughs) 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 um, My first uh, full-length documentary, I Was a Teenage Feminist, refers to me at age 13 uh, discovering Free to Be You and Me, which some of your listeners may know. Uh, but it was a kind of a like a landmark TV show and record album done by Marlo Thomas. And it was full of all kinds of very feminist messages and egalitarian uh, stories and things like that. And when I was 13 I, and I saw it for the first time, I, I was kind of like, what? <laughs> I can do this? <laughs> this mm-hmm. is really like, oh, this is that. this is what I've been thinking about, but I didn't think anyone else thought about that. So that was a big, that was a big thing. So I was political to the extent that anyone in my suburban Toronto neighborhood was political. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, through my 20s and 30s, I kind of lost touch with it. It was also a time when there had been a huge conservative backlash. Um, So you would never use the word feminist, for example, because people would, you know, accuse you of being a man-hating lesbian. Right, which uh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. At yeah. this point
1: in my life, I'm like, what's wrong with that? But, um, <laughs> but that was the kind of thing. So really what happened was, and when I worked at newspapers, I couldn't be political. You know, we had to sign um, an ethics agreement, uh, which prevented us from being politically active because it would be in conflict with what right. the paper was doing mm-hmm. objectively. So... Yep. When I left the paper uh, and was out on my own, I suddenly had this incredible freedom to, to do what I want and say what I want. And I think that that triggered something in me. So when I moved to New York, I almost immediately met people who were more politically active and kind of eased myself into the scene and realized that that Doing documentaries and writing was a way to express a lot of these things.
0: Mm -hmm. uh, And expose them as well. Yeah. And expose and educate.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I never really had access to that kind of platform or voice before.
0: Growing up or working?
1: Well, working for newspapers. Mm -hmm. um, And uh, yeah, it just wasn't something that was around me. I have to be honest. I had a very Mm -hmm. kind of traditional, uh, upbringing. However, I, I always thought about these things. I just didn't have a way to express them. I didn't have hmm. the language for them. And when you lack the language for expressing what you're thinking, it's much harder. For and, sure. Um, I think when I moved to New York, I started reading some really great, like, I, w- I guess I would call them now feminist magazines, uh, bust, bitch. These were really wonderful pop culture well, they're still around magazines, and you know, so they would have the spinster issue
0: in mm-hmm. Bust.
1: So it would all be about celebrating spinsters, <laughs> celebrating people who weren't married. Right? Um, and I was like, "What? You can celebrate this? <laughs> 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 I mean, I was like, oh, and not feel like fantastic. a pariah because
0: yeah. you weren't married. Sure,
1: there was a lot of that, and a lot of a lot of that kind of stuff that I could suddenly sort of access, and I felt the way I felt when I was thirteen. And also learned uh, from Free to Be You and Me that you didn't have to marry a handsome prince. Mm -hmm. And I sort of went through that all over again. And that's when I, that, that was really the impetus for my first documentary.
0: So I was a teenage feminist. Was, in a sense, autobiographical?
1: Yes. The films I make always start from a question I have, personally about my life and my place in the world. They always grow out of something that doesn't make sense to me, uh, that I'm, I'm trying to figure out. So with, uh, I was a teenage feminist, it was really um, like, what happened to that 13 year old who was, felt so empowered and um, felt that there were so many things she could do without apologizing? And how did she turn into me? <laughs> mm-hmm. who was feeling sort of bad about, you know, not being married, not having children, even though I never really wanted children, but still it felt bad, not looking like a Victoria's Secret model, gotcha. kind of things like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what happened to all that empowerment? I couldn't find it in myself and I couldn't really find it in the world um, from where I was sitting back in 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all there, of course. And the, the documentary is about sort of trying to find it again and reconnecting with it. It's more autobiographical than the films that followed, but I think that is sort of like that. Um, but really, my current film, My So-Called Selfish Life, grew out of my uh, lack of desire to have children mm-hmm. and marginalization. And I started wondering what that's all about and finally sort of felt comfortable talking about it taboo subject um, and I thought I want to get I want to get to the bottom of this why why are women treated shabbily if they don't have children why oh, for are sure. we not yeah. real women uh-huh. um, and that approach has always served me really well it gets me into pop culture it gets me into history science religion I'm trying to look for answers to why our society thinks the way it does and makes us feel the way we do, which is not good, not a good feeling.
0: Were you overwhelmed by what you found doing your research um, for My So-Called Selfish Life and providing a way for uh, these women to exhale?
1: <laughs> well, it helped me exhale too, I have to mm. say. I'm, I'm not. The film isn't quite as thoroughly autobiographical as I was a teenage feminist, but I'm definitely in it and I'm
0: sort of the guide through this, the story for people. Mm-hmm. And you're, your mom is in it as well.
1: Yeah, my mother is in it. She's fantastic. Um, she was also in I Was a Teenage Feminist, in fact, and she's in this film as well, and she's a real emotional anchor mm-hmm. to the film. And um, when I started doing research on it, it was partly because I had seen a sort of an explosion of conversations around the topic because of the internet, because of social media, people were finding each other. You know, people who didn't want children were finding other people who didn't want children. Let me just you know? interrupt
0: and ask, what year are we talking about? This was 2016. Okay, okay. So
1: I thought, well, maybe this is the right time to make this film, because it was something I had been thinking about a lot. And I, and I put out a survey Because I wanted to hear from other people about their own experiences. I only knew my own experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I decided I'm going to do a survey. I'm going to ask people to talk about their own experiences not having kids, either by choice or by circumstance. Actually, it was sort of open. And um, I remember posting it on Facebook expecting like maybe 50 people would respond and that would be great. It's the only thing I've ever done that actually went viral, Hmm. but it did. And in the first week- You really struck a nerve. Yeah. In the first week, we got, um, I want to say, over 1,800 responses.
0: Mm.
1: And that was overwhelming. (laughs) That was really, Uh really overwhelming. Um, Although it did convince me that there was a film to be made (laughs) on this topic. Um, So that's kind of how it started. And I just went from there.
0: And I would have to assume that the responses came from women of all ages and from all different places.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, very, very wide cross-section. And some men. I didn't specifically ask for, for women to respond, but it was mostly women who responded. Yeah, I think we had teenagers right up to women in their 80s. Wow. A lot from North America, but some from many, many other places in the world. It was a huge cross-section. It was, it was an overwhelming project to read through all of it. Uh-huh. Um, but it gave me a sense of the scope of this topic and the complexity of it and also how much of a gray area this conversation was in. It just was not a black and white conversation. There is really a spectrum of experience around this choice not to have children or circumstances where you can't have children. It's all over the place.
0: So it really crossed a lot of boundaries. How much of who you are factored into that in terms of your determining that you didn't want to have children? And at that point, when you were making the film, were you married?
1: When I was making the film, yeah,
0: I was. Okay. So this was personal to you on several levels. Your husband obviously is on the same page as you are, I would have to assume.
1: He is. We had the talk when we were dating and things mm-hmm. seemed to be more serious than just, you know, random dates. And and so we had this conversation and I told him I didn't want kids and I thought he should know that <laughs> at uh-huh. this point. Yeah. Um, I was already in my 40s, so the chances of me conceiving were pretty low. Mm-hmm. But, but I think he misunderstood, and he said, oh, well, we could always adopt. And I said, no, ah. I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't want any mm-hmm. kids anyway. Right. Any I just don't. And he was like, okay. And, you know, I, I, I know that that came from a place where he wanted to be with me, more than he wanted to be a father, and he just felt like if he was with someone that he wanted to be with for the rest of his life, and she didn't want children, then he could not imagine making her have any. Sure, um, that just didn't make any sense at all. So it was really that that simple, actually, and not everyone has. That simple
0: of a conversation. I would have to assume, and of course I've seen the film, but I would have to also assume how conflicted women are. I mean, it's a wonderful thing to, to, to be definitive and know that, you know, and, and feel that, you know, in your heart and soul. But then on the other hand, mm, I don't know I'm, that, that must be, that must be really trying.
1: I think it's really difficult, and, and, and the film really explores why. Why is it so difficult, and why is it so trying? And um, how do you parse out what people are telling you versus what you actually want? Um, and I will say that when I was in my 20s and 30s, even though I knew I didn't want children, I did assume I would have children anyway. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I had agency in this matter that if I met somebody who I wanted to be with marry partner um they would probably want to have kids which meant that I'd probably have to have kids. And luckily when that actually happened I was I was well into my 40s and there is something beautiful about being old enough to really know who you are and what you want. It's much easier Having even having these conversations when you're older. I couldn't even talk to my... I had a very serious boyfriend in my 30s, and I couldn't really talk to him about it. I literally had no language. And I would say things like, I don't think I would be a very good mother. Mm -hmm. And he would say, oh, I think you'd be a great mother. Right, and and
0: dismiss that, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: and I was like, "Uh, I don't think so. But I really did not have the ability to say, actually, I don't
0: want to be a mother. Did that just seem too... Too extreme, almost,
1: to say that? I couldn't imagine saying that to my boyfriend Mm -hmm. um, at the time. And, you know, looking back on it now, it gives me a lot of insight into what other people are going through. Because I really remember how that felt, feeling like I would be, uh, I was heading towards a future I didn't want, Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't know what I would do about it.
0: What did you learn from the women in your film that may have surprised you in terms of where they came from or what they had to deal with? What was what was what grabbed you or shocked you even?
1: I think that I was actually shocked that there were other women who had felt the same way as me. (laughs) They felt like they, yeah, that they. Didn't want children, but assumed they'd have them anyway, and that's mm-hmm. a little bit near the beginning of the film where a few of them share that, and that was really surprising. Again, you, it's the thing is you feel like you're the only person who feels a certain way um, because there are things we're not supposed to talk
0: about. Right? Um, there's and, just there's these assumptions. You're in life. You're married, and you're going to have children, and right. even, and then even people who women who don't get married have children. So there.
1: They do, and people who don't have um, heterosexual intercourse find a way to have children. Sure, sure. So, you know, there's a lot of variety in our lives and a lot of complexity. The other thing that I want to say kind of shocked me is um, really digging into the larger issues around this topic. Um, And that was really thanks to the women in the film who were, you know, experts who have been thinking about this for a long time. But this idea that the pressure to have children is much bigger than when you're sitting at your family's holiday table, you know, and and someone leans over and asks you when you're going to have kids already or at your friend's mm-hmm. baby shower mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. everyone is like, you know, when are you going to have kids? Um it's much bigger than that. It is an it is an a system that we live in in this world that reinforces that idea over and over again to us. So in, in a way that it just seems natural. Like, it's normal that every woman wants kids. That's normal. It's not, actually, but our every, every part of our life reinforces that fact from the commercials we watch on TV to the way governments give out benefits to uh, what we hear in our houses of worship, right across the board. It's constantly being reinforced to us. And that, more so than any individual thing uh, any of the women in the film said was the most shocking thing. When I realized that this thing that I was exploring that I thought was sort of a very personal thing, in fact, was like a global system of what is called pronatalism, which is wow. a, a word that's new for a lot of people. But pronatalism, no, I've never
0: heard that term.
1: It's a good word. We should all learn it because it, it identifies things that we didn't have the words to identify. Um, mm-hmm. And it is really, you know, encouraging people, uh, forcing people <laughs> to have children um, and reinforcing that over and over again for various reasons. How
0: is your film received?
1: It's been received really well uh, so far. We've We've done festivals mm-hmm. and we've had some, well, actually a lot of press writing about the film. And so far, I've been really encouraged and thrilled, honestly, at the press that we've been getting and the feedback from our audiences. And in part, I think it's because I knew that fellow child-free people like myself would would be into it. You know, they would really like seeing a film about their lives.
0: Well, it gives them a the voice.
1: Absolutely. It validates their choices. It gives them language, <laughs> to express their own feelings. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And it's a fun, it's an entertaining film. Uh, there are parts of it that are very serious, but it's also quite entertaining. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a fun ride. The thing that I was really gratified by was that uh, people who, who wanted children but couldn't have them were also finding a lot in the film. And parents were finding a lot in the film also. And I guess I shouldn't be surprised because, you know, you go back to this idea of pronatalism, which, which infiltrates all of our lives. You know, if parents decide they want one child, there's going to be a line of people saying, just one? You should mm-hmm. have another. Of course. Right? Um, if you want kids but can't have them, you have a whole line of people telling you that there's something wrong with you, that your body is broken, that you'll never know true love
0: without a child, or that women jump through hoops to to try and get pregnant. Your heart almost breaks for that, mm-hmm. having all these roadblocks in front of you.
1: Oh yeah, and I've had friends and, and family who have gone through this too. So I I, I know how oh, difficult <laughs> the process can be. And and I decided I wanted to have someone in the film who also who who wanted to have children and couldn't because mm-hmm. she was infertile and sort of where her life went. From there, and um, so I thought it was something that I wanted to also talk about, and it's really, really hard to parse out at a certain point, you know, whether people are continuing with IVF because they really, really, really want a child or because they feel like they should have a child or because one of the partners wants one. And the other one is like, you know what? I'm good. We don't have to do this anymore.
0: Yeah.
1: If if anybody has watched um, and just like that, which is the continuation of sex in the city, there is a storyline of one of this, I guess I would call her the secondary characters who is going through that. She's going through IVF with her husband and she's done. She's kind of done. Like, she's like, you know what, if I don't have a kid, it's okay. I'll be fine. And um, her husband really wants a kid. And there's this conflict through the entire series of what I assume is the first season uh, between these two about that and not quite understanding each other. And, you know, her feeling a lot of pressure to do something that she has decided she doesn't really want to do anymore. So, so it's an interesting conversation.
0: On a personal level, I assumed that I was just never going to get married. And I wound up getting married at a very young age, 22 or 23. And we never discussed children. But I didn't think I wanted any. And and my joke was, I can't even raise plants without them dying. (laughs) I mean, I, I can't do this, you know. We never really talked about it. I don't really know what my husband was feeling in terms of, let her kind of go through this and I'll stay in the background. I mean, he was one of four, um, you know, great with kids. And and listen, I babysat, uh, you know, I, I didn't hate kids. And what happened to me was after eight years of marriage, I woke up one day and said, I want to have a child. And on some level, you could look at me and say, it was a very selfish decision on her part. You know, there's two people involved in this union, not just one. And I'm assuming that that people had that reaction to your phone.
1: Was your husband unhappy about having children?
0: No, no, he, he huh. loved kids.
1: Okay, great. I mean, that's kind of the ideal, right? That's kind of what you want. If at some point you say, actually, I really want children and my partner really wants children
0: and we're going to have children. However, he Seems- had to wait for eight years.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, you, you know, having a child is such a profound thing we treat it like such an everyday occurrence you know everyone has has kids everyone has kids no big Mm deal it is profound (laughs) to create a new human life and be responsible for keeping it alive until it can take care of itself
0: if that ever happens
1: if that ever (laughs) (laughs) now we're getting (laughs) into some (laughs) serious stuff um (laughs) It's profound and, and the way it changes your life and the way it reorganizes your priorities. And, you know, I'll be honest, the expense, the lack of freedom, uh, the profound ways that it affects women's careers and ambitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have the highest number of women who have left the workforce because of the pandemic, because they suddenly had to like take care of their kids all day and homeschool them. And oh, yeah. I don't know what else. Oh, and this mm. fell to women. This thing fell to women.
0: Absolutely. And the,
1: and, and the amount of women who left the workforce is staggering. I wish I had a, a number to give you, but it's, a, it's not a hard to find um, number, but it's staggering.
0: Mm-hmm. All of
1: these women's lives were completely upended because they, nobody else, they, had to stay home and take care of the kids and, and become their teachers and everything else. And it was just easier to just stop working and do this. So it's profound. Having a child is profound. A wanted and loved child is a wonderful thing and every child should be wanted and loved.
0: Of course, absolutely. So the,
1: the pressure on someone who doesn't actually want to have a child to have
0: a child seems cruel to me. Did you get a lot of pushback about this film? What did you find?
1: You know, it's interesting because the film hasn't been widely released yet. I don't have sort of the full, (laughs) the full measure of this. However, it was less that people were angry. It was more that people didn't think this was a story.
0: You mean that that the percentage of women who didn't want to have children was insignificant? So why bother?
1: it was insignificant and irrelevant. And why are we even talking about this? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that that was, I think the biggest problem. And then maybe the flip side of it was, it was s- s- seen as so taboo, so taboo yeah. that people didn't want to talk about it at all. Mm-hmm. My films tend to fall into those <laughs> categories quite mm-hmm. often. I'll be honest. But so I, I, I've had a few, you know, people accusing me of, you know, wanting to end the human race and oh, brainwashing mm-hmm. young women into getting their tubes tied and mm-hmm. so so on. But mostly I have found this sort of like, oh no, we can't talk about that. That makes me too uncomfortable. Or this isn't a real thing, is it? I mean, who cares? So that's been more more often if I'm getting a negative reaction that those reactions have <laughs> been more frequent. But again I'm 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 just I'm thrilled at the reception the film has gotten so far and um so that just makes me very happy. I think it's a word of mouth film. I think it's a film where somebody sees it and then says, "Oh, you need to watch this film." You know, and it goes from there. I I really think that that's going to be the life of this film is people telling other people that they should, you know, you should watch this. When we're at the point of a, having a wide release for the film, I'm, I'm very much hoping that that's what
0: happens. Why is your mother in the film?
1: Why is my mother in the film? I think my mother is just very smart mm-hmm. <laughs> and very wise. And she um, was a huge influence on me. She wasn't like a, a lot of the other mothers of the kids I grew up with. My mother's always had a career, like a professional career, Uh, My mother is outspoken about things that she doesn't agree with. My mother has given my sister and me a lot of room and has my father. I don't want to diss my father here. It's really funny because my father's not in the film. I have wonderful parents, (laughs) really wonderful parents. But I think my mother as a a woman and as a female role model um, has always been really important. And I happened to grow up with a mother who didn't believe in Mother's Day. And one thing I really wanted was for her to talk about that in the film, like why she thought Mother's Day was not a good holiday.
0: Like contrived, you mean?
1: Well, she just felt like the only people that were rewarded were the people who had children. Uh huh. And she thought, why do we have a holiday that ignores people who can't have children, who don't want children, whose children have died? Mm-hmm. You know, she, she was, she's very um, she feels this really strongly that. That's not the way we should be celebrating women, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted her to talk about that. I wanted her to talk about when I first told her I wasn't going to have children, (laughs) so she could vouch for my precocious (laughs) ideas about Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And then she she talks a lot about, you know, having me becoming a mother for the first time.
0: You're the older of the two? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Which is also a really interesting story. I don't want to spoil, but... Yeah, so there were things to do with motherhood that I really thought, well, I think my own mother can really speak to all of these things to do with motherhood uh, quite well and quite movingly. I think that the parts of the film that she's in
0: are really moving. And it offers a different perspective. It's not just women who are saying, I don't want to have children.
1: Yeah, it's certainly a different perspective. Although we do have uh, some women in the film that do have kids. The focus is definitely on, on those
0: who don't. So talk to me about Trixie Films and, and what is it that you, you're doing with your film company? It will be all about basically lives of women? Yeah,
1: so I, I started the production company when I started making my first documentary. It was partly because I was interning for this fantastic filmmaker, documentarian named Matthew Alston. And as I was trying to figure out how to make my first film, I looked at, you know, sort of what he was doing and how things were set up. And I thought, okay, I should have a production company. I should have an identity for this work beyond just just me. Um, and so, I started Trixie Films. Trixie Films makes my films, basically. Uh-huh. Um, and I started it, and, and as I was sort of, and that was over 20 years ago. And as I was making films, it just seemed like, I guess this is what I make films about, <laughs> which is, you know, these, these things that we hold sacred about womanhood. Mm-hmm. And, you know, trying to look at them more closely and see what's behind it.
0: Well, you've got your work cut out for you.
1: Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot. There's a, I'm not going to ever run out of topics, I have to tell you, because everything about how we value women is, is a little bit messed up. So, uh, you know, How to Lose Your Virginity was about women and sexuality and how we teach our teenagers about sex. Mm-hmm. Um, it was. I, I started working on it in the abstinence until marriage. Uh, movement mm-hmm. uh, in the 2000s where these groups were getting a lot of government money to tell kids that um if they had sex before marriage they were going to you know go to hell and be dirty and ruined and awful and mostly mostly girls you girls of course it's your job to keep the boys away from you cuz you know they can't help themselves
0: yeah sure so
1: girls it's all your fault yeah. anything that happens so, and, and our taxpayer money was going towards this. So it was kind of outrageous. And, you know, lying to teenagers about something that important just <laughs> pissed me off.
0: Oh, I am um, how, yeah.
1: <laughs> so that, that grew out of that. Um, I've made short, you know, some short films on different topics.
0: What, what iron do you have in the fire coming up now uh, after my so-called selfish life?
1: I directed and produced this film. So right. my directing job is, more or less over, except for when I do talks and Q&As and discussions with the film, of course, which is actually my favorite thing to do. Now I have my producer hat on and trying to get the film distributed. So we just started working with an educational distributor. So the film is now available for colleges and nonprofits. Oh, that's and great. Conferences, um, all the institutional sort of venues. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we've just started that. So I'm so excited to get the film out and and be part of curricula and um, help other organizations with their work that are aligned. Um, One, one thing that was a bit of a surprise, but I don't know why I was surprised is the interest from environmental organizations. Um, Many of them have population and sustainability arms that are very interested in this topic of the pressure on people to have children,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, creating a sustainable world. And so I've, I've done some events and I'm hopefully going to be doing some events in the future with some of these organizations. And um, I didn't expect that, but of course it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the topic has tentacles. Yeah, it really does. Um, you know, there are a lot of workplace issues around this. It's actually a diversity, equity, and inclusion topic um, because, People without kids are treated differently than people with kids. Um, Again, we saw a lot of that in the pandemic. The pandemic exposed a lot of cracks in our social fabric. Is that a mixed metaphor?
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: But, you know, if you don't have kids, you're often asked to work late, put in extra hours. Um, You don't get your vacations when you want them because the families get first dibs on, you know, um, school holiday uh, vacations. Uh Uh, I've worked with with uh, people who had to leave at five to pick their kids up from school. Uh, but there seemed to be no problem with me staying until eight because apparently I had nothing else to do in my life but sit mm-hmm. at work. I had no other responsibilities, I say sarcastically. So there's a really interesting DEI component to this and creating a more equitable workspace mm. and not putting it on the employees, but putting it on management to figure this out because oftentimes the the workers are left to figure it out for themselves which is not how this should be done there should be policies around this how people get vacation time for example or how people are reimbursed for extra hours that they work so i love that i i would love to to be doing dei programming with companies to talk about this because who oh boy there <laughs> there are a lot of thoughts about this out yeah,
0: there yeah yeah and how
1: And again, you know, sort of convincing a company that this is an issue for your employees. (laughs) You know, again, it's it's that sort of thing where it's like, it is? What? Mm -hmm. What's this about? You know, like, this is an issue. Your employees are talking about it. Your employees are angry about it. Your employees who are parents are upset about it. I mean, so anyway. Sometimes
0: there's no winner that everybody feels marginalized or Mm -hmm. not heard.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a matter of of figuring out what what do your employees need to do their best work and then how can you create policy to address that. Where now it's kind of a free for all, honestly.
0: I think it's really important and I think that people have a lot to say about it, whether it's positive or negative or jealous or angry, it's not fair, and whether you have kids or you don't have kids. I just have to say that I have several friends, longtime friends, who we never talked about it, but don't have children, and who I think are very comfortable in their lives and for the most part have not had to defend that. You know, it's just it's it's just so and so doesn't have kids, you know. Move on. Mm-hmm. End of conversation. It's not how come that happened or didn't. Have-? And I'm old, you know. And so they're they're part of my age group, and maybe maybe there were times when they had that they're a little rueful about that. But uh, but for the most part, they who they are who they are, and they're not defined one way or the other as a married woman with no children or a single woman with no children. I think your film is really important and and how great it is that you made it and and what a way to I say this all the time when I I interview and I'm with documentary filmmakers it's so potent what a documentary can teach and expose uh I think this should be shown in schools to students
1: yes that's what we're that that's what we just started doing is um you know, it's available for high schools. It's available for colleges. Yeah, you, say, yeah, you say colleges,
0: but even high schools. Yes, I don't yeah. think anybody's anybody's too young for that. Yeah,
1: definitely. And just
0: given other perspectives, that's what life is all about. You know. We were actually
1: curious about whether uh, younger people would be even interested in this topic because it seems sort of so far away. You know, when you're yeah. uh, 18 or or whatever, and we did a bunch of test screenings and. Uh, it blew their minds. <laughs> the film like blew their minds. Isn't it was that like, great. What? We can do that. <laughs> Which oh, that's like terrific. Me <laughs> <at> that <age.
0: laughs> well you should feel <laughs> terrific about that. Really. Well it was really great to get to meet and know you, Teresa, and thank you for doing the work that you do.
1: Oh, thank you, Sandy. Thanks for doing the work that you do. It's it's always wonderful to be able to share this stuff with a larger audience. So I really
0: appreciate you having me on the show. It was a no-brainer. And keep us in your, in your loop and let us know what's going on. There's always room for a part two. And uh, you, yeah, your work is powerful and it's important. And thank you for doing it. My pleasure. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.